For confidence in your financial plan, look for a CFP professional. When your financial advisor earns the CFP certification, it means he or she is trained to provide ethical financial planning across a holistic range of topics, from retirement and investing to taxes and estate planning, all in your best interest. So with a CFP professional, you'll feel confident in your financial plan today and tomorrow. Three letters do make a difference. Visit letsmakeaplan.org to find your CFP professional. It's a new year, and I am so grateful that you tune in every single week to this podcast. The show is sponsored by Women in Influencer Marketing, the best online community for the creator economy. Meet fellow influencer marketers, brands, and talent managers to talk shop, get hired, and even find a mentor. When you join, don't forget to check out our incredible casting tool. We also have dozens of masterclasses from the top voices at TikTok, YouTube, award-winning agencies, and women who are paving the way for us all. If you want the chance to network with a who's who in influencer marketing, check out what it takes to join the membership collective. Just visit imwim.com join today. I'll see you there. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM Podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I, dot com. What is up, guys? So uh, uh, how, do, how do I sound? Mic check, one, two, three. Um, I am geeking out. I'm recording this two days before my birthday, and I feel like it is a birthday gift, such a good birthday gift, early birthday gift. Anyways, it's actually, it was a holiday gift, but I got this for Christmas, a brand new microphone. And then yesterday um, I got a few like add-ons, like this arm and a pop filter. Anyways, I was just like tweaking all the settings and I was like, damn, I really want to record on it for this week's intro. So I hope I sound good. Um, my guess is that this will continue to sound better over time. I'm so grateful for you guys to be tuning in. I will probably be talking about the development of my little podcast studio. Um, for some of you who follow a little bit more closely on our Instagram, um, you know that I recently bought a house and um, myself and my family, we were like slowly settling in. One of the coolest things about this house is that in the basement, there are a couple rooms. So Paul is using the larger, slightly larger room for like his 3D printer and like, I don't know, various like projects and stuff that he is creating and working on for fun. And then there's this room that's perfect for a freaking podcast studio. We just got so lucky to find this house and um, we stalked the realtor and then we ended up getting in being incredibly aggressive because we had looked at so many freaking houses that we knew this was exactly the one we wanted. Anyways, I feel like I've spoken to quite a few people lately who've reached out and said either they're starting a podcast or they're interested in starting a podcast. I'm going to be definitely creating more content on personal branding 
And of course, a podcast is awesome for that, whether it's for you or for an influencer that you represent. Um, it's such a wonderful, wonderful medium. I just love audio. Um, I'm also beta testing LinkedIn audio events starting tomorrow. I get access. I'm so excited. I'm still on Clubhouse. I'm like, one of the few, but there are a lot of people that are still on there. Anyways, I love audio. If you love audio as much as I do, just reach out to me. Like I love meeting new people who are also into it, um, especially podcasters, because it's hard work. Anyways, as I sort of begin to build this podcast studio, as I find things and get things recommended to me and I test them and try them, I will totally recommend them back to you. I'm learning so much. Like I geek out over this shit. I, you probably know that already about me, but um, anyways, I've been speaking with so many people in preparation for planning out the rest of the year. Um, we have so many events that are coming up. I'll just like rattle off a few to get you excited. We have our next Best in Influencer Tech event that's going to be in March. Um, I just confirmed with Instagram today that they're going to be doing a masterclass on Reels. LinkedIn and Pinterest are also going to be doing masterclasses for you guys. Um, I'm confirming tons of additional podcasts who are going to come and talk about the metaverse and NFTs and how it all relates to the creator economy. And I am obsessed with that stuff, guys, like legitimately obsessed. I, I sit in rooms on Clubhouse all day, more or less while I'm working, just like I'm thinking of the background, so people to listen to music, like I want to learn. That's just who I am. I'm so freaking curious about this stuff and there's so much opportunity and excitement about it. And it's just, it's finally entered the mainstream market. And anyways, it's like such a good time to get into this stuff. So it feels complicated, but it's actually not at all whatsoever. So I'm bringing on and have already confirmed really, really solid experts in the area, people who are doing it all day um, to come on the show and talk to you guys about it. So we can, uh, we can all learn together. Anyways, guys, this week we are speaking with none other than Lauren Schnipper. She's a VP of creator business development at Jelly Smack, where she leads mergers and acquisitions, investments, and partnerships. For the past several years, she's focused on creator monetization diversification. She's really passionate about figuring out more ways for creators to make money. She's also the co-host of the podcast Creator Upload alongside Josh Cohen, who is the co-founder of Tube Filter. It's a really top-notch show. I personally listen, and you'll definitely want to subscribe. Lauren's an ex-Facebooker or metaverser, I don't know how to say that now, <laughs> where she oversaw strategic partnerships for top digital talent there and comedians on Facebook and Instagram. She educates us on the innovations of Jelly Smack, how creators can diversify their revenue streams, and if you're interested, you can see her beautiful face because this interview and many others are posted to our YouTube channel. So of course, I'm going to drop links to all of the things, including how to subscribe to her podcast, The Creator Upload, because this week I was fortunate enough to be guesting on their show as well. Lauren is absolutely on our women to watch list. So enjoy the heck out of this episode. <laughs> Um, so Lauren, thank you so, so much for joining today. Um, so excited to be here. 
you. Thank you so much. Um, so coming at us from sunny California, is it sunny California today? You know, it's always, the weather's great. Like the weather's <laughs> always fine. That's, that's kind of what I say. It's a little chill. Was it 50 this morning and we were all freezing? Yeah, it was, but I mean, I'm not going to complain. I got to say, like, I go to LA, I think the last two times I was there and it rains and everyone's like, you have bad juju. <laughs> But we all it love it when rain. it rains because we're like, it's so cozy and we stay inside and then every, and because it's like a day of year. <laughs> exactly. It's the day that Jesse's arrived and um, it's nice and cozy. From one podcaster to another. Yes. Also just so nice to have you on. Thank you. It's more nerve wracking on this side. Like your side is the, like, I, I'm used to that side. This side, I'm like, oh God, what do I do? <laughs> Well, hopefully the intention is to welcome you and make you, you feel super comfortable chatting Great. with And I know our audience is going to really benefit from hearing from you. So sort of before we dive into anything, mm -hmm. I just want to hear a little bit about your professional journey, a sure. little bit about Jelly Smack in sure. particular. Yeah. So if you could share a little bit about that, that would be amazing. Yeah, it's been a windy road. Um, I actually started my career in Broadway producing. I am a huge Broadway nerd. Absolutely love it. Produced a few shows with a very early days company called Harbor Entertainment. We did uh, Night Mother on a Broadway that, with Edie Falco and uh, Fiddler on the Roof were a couple of things we did. But I was always like performing at the same time as well. I was actually doing comedy in my 20s and I was producing at the same time. So after I left sort of Broadway, I was doing like off-off Broadway theater, produced like every level of live theater, moved out to Los Angeles 15 years ago to continue that journey, but really focus on comedy. The dream was to do like be on SNL and got into the groundlings, came up with that sort of whole thing, but it was always producing kind of sketch comedy. And then it got into video was early days producing stuff for funny or die when you could literally like, you know, email Mike Farah, who I think is still the head of funny or die and just be like, we put my sketch on the front you know, page, which was a really big deal. And then basically I turned a certain age and realized I didn't like staying up late, which is basically what comedy is. And I realized what I'm really good at is producing, which is basically just galvanizing people around a central sort of idea and knowing what you're good at and knowing what you're not good at. Because <laughs> then when you're not good at, you know, and then know, and having a network to hire the people to do the things that you're not good at. So really pivoted to that over 10 years ago. And I found this sort of burgeoning group of talent called YouTubers. And even prior to that, I started doing kind of web series with companies that like don't really exist. This is when like that was kind of a thing. And then started working with YouTubers and, and became known as like the person, the producer who could kind of like transition creators from kind of what they were doing to either bigger projects online or diversify it to sort of TV. Because, you know, YouTube at the time was sort of thought of as like, the incubator for TV. So as an example, I produced the annoying orange pilot for a cartoon network. Dane Bonenheiber is a still good friend of mine. He was, you know, huge YouTuber at the time, still gets like 50 million views a month, by the way, uh, over 10 years later. And um, so I was kind of doing that. And then it ended up like working with a bunch of YouTubers as a producer and a manager, producing pilots and podcasts, really early, early days of that book deals, movies, docuseries, sold a show with a YouTuber to NBC, first ever YouTuber to do that and all that sort of stuff. So it was really exciting. And then I found myself really kind of burnt out and like transitioned and landed to Facebook and was the first person to ever kind of like look after this cohort of talent for Facebook and Instagram. And so this was August, 2014 and was there for four and a half years. And it was a really interesting time to be there. Listen, I'm a Broadway nerd that landed at a tech company. Like nobody was more shocked than me, but I'm like, you know, say what you want about the company. It was an incredible opportunity for me to really learn and understand product and really, you know, these platforms that build the, you know, infrastructure for which creators kind of build their careers. And I was there, it was interesting because I was there like, 
like you know, when we could do no wrong to like Cambridge Analytica. I was there when it was literally set in stone. We will never, ever produce original content to the launch of Watch. So it was just this incredible pendulum swing. Um, worked on Facebook and Instagram my first couple of years. Then we hired a whole Instagram team, led the entire VidCon partnership. I've been going to VidCon for years, saw a lot of holes in what could be better. Landed at Facebook and I was like, we got a bunch of money. We're going to do things like a really fancy talent lounge. I was the person that kind of ideated and came up with that. And then it became this mainstay at like at VidCon sort of globally, currently on the VidCon board, a very supportive of the organization. And yeah, and then sort of left Facebook about, it'll be three years in January to really focus on monetization diversification. So I became a little frustrated, I think for myself, where everything at Facebook starts at scale. And so I was really ready to sort of go a little like deeper with fewer. And so landed at a startup that was meant to be sort of a fund to invest in creator-led businesses, didn't kind of work out because there were some sort of financial issues with our backer, but really saw in early 2019, late 2018, that there was this, what we now call the creator economy was not a thing, even like then. And it was this burgeoning sort of industry where like there was a lot of quote unquote industry being built up around it. So I was really excited. And I, and I generated so many opportunities in just a few months there. And so I was like, this has sort of been my obsession and my passion ever since. Started a podcast called Creator Upload with John. Josh Cohen, who co-founded TubeFilter, where we talk about this every week. And so then uh, after that startup, I landed. Actually, I was consulting for a year, just spent a lot of time at Spring, formerly Teespring, helping them figure out like sort of their play within creators even more deeply. And then I've been at JellySmack for a year. It'll be literally a year where we created this role for me that's this VP of Creator Business Development, where my job is basically to think about how JellySmack can expand its offering for creators, whether that be build, buy, or invest. So I meet with startups every single day. I think it's the coolest job so i know what's going on and yeah that's kind of what i'm doing now that's the story for confidence in your financial plan look for a cfp professional when your financial advisor earns the cfp certification it means he or she is trained to provide ethical financial planning across a holistic range of topics from retirement and investing to taxes and estate planning all in your best interest so with a cfp professional you'll feel confident in your financial plan today and tomorrow three letters do make a difference visit letsmakeaplan.org to find your cfp professional there aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. So it is the coolest job ever. And it's also like, they're very lucky to have you. Right? Thank you. I mean, like, that's the perspective that I have. I mean, well, I, I wanted I, you. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Yes. Absolutely. I wanted you to sort of go through your professional journey in your own words mm -hmm. too, versus me just reading on paper. I think that it, you've got this huge amount of perspective mm -hmm. coming from like live entertainment mm -hmm. that is all mm -hmm. of Broadway and New mm -hmm. York and like traditional entertainment, mm -hmm. which like isn't even TV. It's like mm -hmm. Broadway is mm -hmm. even, you know, well mm -hmm. before that mm -hmm. and how you've ended up where you are today, which is it's like mind boggling. <laughs> It's mind boggling, but it also makes such sense. Oh, tell me. I want to I can tell you, I see such a through line. The thing that I'm most impressed with is just that you are 
obviously not somebody who is adverse to change. The people who, you know, they're like, well, I've had all the success in television for decades and like, I don't know what these kids are doing on the internet. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. and they push against it. Mm -hmm. You are not that person. And in Mm -hmm. fact, it seems like you like lean so heavily into it. I was the person having the conversation with those people when I'd be in meetings with the creator talking about how they should, you know, make this movie we were trying to get off the ground or something. And they'd be like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I'd be like, call your kids, ask them if you know, they know what's going on. And they'd be like, but my kids watch. They'd be like, can I get an autograph from like, who? you know, it's just, so I, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. And so leaning into it, I'm sure you've gleaned lots of things and you know, it's scary. I'm sure to be at the forefront of things where it's a little untested people, there's no case studies presented. But what it does allow for is an incredible amount of opportunity yes. to really be at the forefront of something and yes. to have a community of people that I'm sure you've accumulated along yes. your professional journey of yes. people that you're like, this person is, they're my people. Yes. Like this person I will partner with, this person, like they speak, we speak the same language. Yes. Yeah. So describe to me a little bit more about like the most exciting stuff that Jelly Smack is doing these days. Cause I want to hear a little bit more yeah. about your presently. Yeah. And one of the things I just want to touch on before I go there is that like, you know. I've been doing this so long. When I started, there was no ambition to be a creator or a YouTuber. It was literally like Hannah Hart got drunk and put a video on the internet making some food. And all of a sudden she woke up the next morning and was like, oh my God, like this is a thing. I guess I'll make another one. And like, that's the cohort that I kind of came up with. Now you've got kids like their biggest dream is to be a creator. Like that wasn't a thing. It's exciting because there's perspective. So you can have more, you can have more of a strategic vision around it. And there's a lot more planning that you can do where these kids coming up there was no planning. A lot of them were taken advantage of a ton. We don't have to go down the MCN road, but like we all know those stories because they were basically just like, you know, fed to the wolves because there was nobody there to be their advocate. They didn't know how to advocate for themselves. So it's really interesting to see how things have changed. And it's really, it's exciting to be somebody who can call out the BS and know what's been done, what has been done well, what's been done badly. And, and that sort of gets us to jelly smack, which I think like, I would never call it an MCN, but were I to do that, it would be like if MCNs actually did it right from go. And so what I love about jelly smack is it's incredibly important to me. And I think I have this reputation of being a very straight shooter, very honest, very blunt. I, I have my counterpart at Facebook. He was on Instagram. We brought him in. Justin Anthony, he's amazing. He's been there actually for a while now. We always would joke. We have very different styles. He's much more like <laughs> subtle in his approach. And I'm like, in the room with like Logan Paul being like, I don't care, dude, do it if you want to do it. I don't know, whatever. You know what I mean? Like you're going to make a huge mistake in your life. You know, like I'm just like that person. But anyway, what Jelly Smack is doing, well, first of all, we started off with our sort of owned and operated kind of big pages that we built up on Facebook. So we have really, we have about, I don't know, half a dozen, maybe more now of things around passion point communities like soccer and beauty. And we built these sort of really, really very engaged pages. And we started using technology to help build them up, like A-B testing every single thumbnail and of content that goes out there to make sure everything out there is like kind of like perform as best as possible. And so like a few years ago, the founders were kind of like, well, what if we did this with like other creators, not just ours? And now that's kind of taken like over the business. That's really the main thing. So what we do, the primary sort of business line is that we take YouTubers with really big libraries of content and we put them through our algorithm, which is made up of millions and millions upon millions of data points. It gives them a score. The score basically says, is your content evergreen enough such that it will do well on other platforms? If that score is says yes, then we then go to a next phase of testing, which we actually put real dollars into every test that we do before we partner with somebody where we actually, you know, take some videos, recut them using a combination of technology and sort of humans, make a ton of thumbnails, go out there, 
you know, AB test it, figure out what's, you know, and if it does well, we then go to the part the creator and say, Hey, we'll partner with you. And what we will do is basically diversify them on other platforms. And we work a lot on Facebook, Snap, we're, and then we're expanding all the other platforms working on Instagram and TikTok and everything. And so it's really exciting. We work with about 300 creators. I always say like, we're not currently in the business of scaling creators, but we are scaling video. So we process like 10,000 pieces of content every single month. So it's an incredible amount of content that we're kind of working with, have data around, and it's really, really exciting. And my job is sort of twofold where it's one to like find tools and tech that help us do what we do better and faster. And then also to think about other opportunities that we can sort of bring to creators. And that's that's the tougher of the two because with creators, it tends to be that when you do one thing really well for them, they then come to you and they're like, do everything for me because they're very insulated and they're very skeptical and they think that they can only do what they do the best that they, you know, they just, they've seen success because they've done it their own way. So they have a third party come in and sort of do something well for them. Like, oh my gosh, this person could do something well. So, hey, can you do my merch? Hey, can you do my this, that, da, da, da. So we are having to really ruthlessly prioritize what we should focus on. And that's, it's hard. That's the harder part. And so I want to dive more into that because I could not agree more. I think that everyone's been saying it for a while. Like brand partnerships can't be an influencer's own, you know, only bread and butter. Mm -hmm. They, you know, like any business owner, you want to diversify your revenue streams as much as humanly possible. Yes. But if you can sort of shortcut the process of seeing what's going to be successful and what's not, wouldn't that be ideal? You know, to have these sort of tech tools at your disposal that are actually going to work for you. Mm -hmm. It's huge because you can bypass so much garbage (laughs) by being able to have those tools. So I don't know, you know, there are a lot of influencer marketers that tune into the show, but there are also influencers or managers of influencers that also listen in. I'd love for you to speak to them about even having an awareness of like what revenue streams they could even imagine up for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of my obsession. (laughs) This is sort of my passion. Um, I really am focused on sort of the business development of creators and and all the different ways that they can make money. And I was, again, on the forefront of kind of figuring out this diversification when I didn't even have some, I'm not going to pretend that I had some like a zoomed out holistic sort of strategy when I was doing this, you know, upwards of 10 years ago. It was like opportunity. Let's try it. Let's do it. You know, so here's the thing. There's so much a creator can be doing. And what's interesting right now too, is there's a little bit of a trend I'm seeing where creators are trying to not to step away from the platforms completely because the platforms are there. They're not going anywhere. But I do think that there's this sort of shift going on where they're not kind of as powerful as they once were because of all this diversification. And you see it with the different kind of tools that they're adding to their own sort of stack. So you'll take commerce, an example. Like you can't, you know, go online without some announcement about a platform doing something with commerce. I was at, you know, Spring I mentioned last year. They have some interesting partnerships with a lot of the platforms around this. So they're all thinking about that. So creators should be thinking about that. But the other piece of it is, is that like, think about not only what you want to sell, but what your audience wants to buy. And if those things don't kind of match up, it might not be the move for you, right? Like, you know, a couple of years ago, I was thinking about working with these family creators, very big family creators. And we did some surveying around their audience about what they thought they would want to buy and what they wanted to actually sell. And it turns out those things were not the same. And in fact, their audience didn't really want to buy anything. And those creators even said to us, like, I wouldn't partner with us based on these things. You know, this is all to say, I think I'm personally currently going through a shift right now where there's been a lot of talk about creator brand building. And I think that there's some really interesting brand building going on. This is not one creator, but like FaZe is a brand, right? That's huge, right? You know, the Paul brothers 
say what you want about them, have built an incredible sort of brand that they've been able to really like, you know, hold up. Not everybody is meant to build a brand. You got to have a partner that knows how to run a business and you got to really dedicate yourself to it. So figure out what you want to do. But I think there's a lot of opportunity with merch and commerce in general. And I'm also really excited about kind of the tools with which you can sell stuff. So live shopping is huge. Everybody talks about what's going on and like, you know, China's been doing live shopping forever and we're starting to see some really interesting startups in the space that are doing live shopping. So there's a lot of really interesting opportunities there. I think also with regards to that, I'm a big believer in drops, a limited edition drops, whether that's, you know, around whatever you're selling. You know, I just think it's like creating a scarcity and creating like sort of, you know, demand is really critical. And I think that the creator should just generally be thinking about, you know, drops in general. General. I think that subscriptions are interesting. I think selling back catalogs is very interesting. There's a lot going on. For years, I've been thinking about what that looks like. Paywalls around just different pieces of content. I mean, there's just, there's so many different opportunities out there, but I think that it's important to be really strategic about it and not over, you know, complicate and spam your audience. But I also think that on the sort of opposite end of that, you've got to take risks that are as a creator and not just get super stuck in just like your, you know, everyday content making machine. You've got to think about other opportunity. And what that usually means is bringing on people to help you do that. And that is really tough for a lot of creators. So think that's incredibly important. You've got to be really strategic about who you bring on, but you've got to be willing to let go of control. I had a conversation with Rhett and Link, who are famously, obviously, the founders of Mythical. Their sort of main woman is Stevie Levine. I don't know what her title is these days, but she's been with them forever. We, we kind of came up together. And they always say that when they talk to creators, that you'll ask them what a creator needs. Like, I need an editor. I need, you know, whatever. I need a post-production person. It's like, no, what they need is a producer. And then they need to give that producer the power to do their job. And so that was how Stevie started. And then like, by the way, it's like the gold standard of creator companies. So that's what I think creators. Yeah. I mean, and look, a lot of that, I mean, in my experience with influencers, if I were to pair back what I've heard, a lot Mm -hmm. of it is, you know, I don't know who to trust. I've been burned um, or, you know, I've been taken advantage of in one way, shape or another. And it's It's really hard. I mean, you talk about, you know, MCNs. I mean, how giant were MCNs were like the epitome of making it if you were a YouTuber. And yet hindsight shows us like a lot of questionable things about that business model. Yes. And that's the sort of ecosystem, that's sort of the atmosphere that this ecosystem is. So I always tell people that are trying to learn about this, like you have to understand there's this like sort of just aura of mistrust that is out there because of how bad most of these MCNs kind of treated creators, whether or not it was over-promising and under-delivering or just literally like doing really egregious things like tying up their channel and not giving it back to them, like all this sort of stuff. So that is out there. But I will say that like, if you're on the other side and you're somebody who's trying to work with creators and you're trying to figure out like, how do I break in? How do I gain their trust? Add value, not work. And then once you've added that value, maybe you can add a little bit of work. And so that's something that I think Jelly Smack does incredibly well because the majority of our offering doesn't require the creator to do anything. And now they're coming to us being like, but I want to do more, which requires them doing work because we've been able to add such a tremendous amount of value. So when you think about, I have a great slide in some deck where a friend of mine who's a manager of a really big creator, and I was like, do me a favor. I was like trying to make this point about how creators are so busy and they're so hard to trust people. Send me a screenshot of his week, right? What does it take to make one video? 
And I, you know, blacked out all of his, you know, identifying kind of, you know, things. So nobody knew who it was. And people were shocked. Like, it's like, I, I used to have do this presentation in Facebook all the time where I'm like, one minute of video does not take one minute to make. It doesn't even take one hour to make. It can take days. I mean, you talk about like Nosai or Nas Daily. I think it's like, he used to do his, you know, one minute a day videos or whatever it was. And it me 14 hours to make one minute now that includes travel. So that's pretty much, that's on the high end, but it's not you know, cut that in half, seven hours to make one minute of video. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of work to do what they do. So if you're going to try to work with creators, add value, not work. Yes, a thousand percent to that. And just like leading with that and managing expectations. That's one thing I heard you say as well about like perhaps maybe where MCNs went a little wrong. Um, Look, we can learn from the past, right? Like there are a lot of things that were not so great, not so wonderful, but like we can learn from it now. Um, It's also hard to like prove yourself writing somebody else is wrong, right? Yeah. It's difficult to do, but it's, you know, look, I firmly believe that good people surround themselves with good people. So the second you do find that producer or that advocate or whomever that is, get introduced to people that they surround themselves with too. Yes. I'm currently trying to help some creators I know try to find like their producer, CEO person or whatever, because like they know my reputation and all that sort of stuff. And so I'm like reaching out to my network, trying to help them. So I uh, totally, so it's like maybe that company or that person can't do it, but like get into their network and figure out you know, who they trust. A thousand percent. So I want to talk a little bit about your experience at like Facebook. You know, you led Facebook's creator partnerships for like four and a half years, I believe. That's true. You oversaw, you know, strategic partnerships for like top digital talent comedians. I didn't know that about you, by the way, that you were in the comedy space. I was. It makes hilarious. I want to like ask you to tell jokes. You're like, I'm so funny. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I want to learn like, what's your biggest takeaway from that experience? Uh-huh. work yeah. for the platforms themselves? It's a great question. There's there's a lot of takeaways, but I kind of put it in two different buckets with regards to sort of creators in general. Like I think there's the creator point of view, right? If I'm talking to a creator and they're like, how do I work with a platform? Play in whatever playground is important to them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a wild guess, but guess what's important to Meta right now? Okay, formerly, fa- <laughs> formerly Facebook. It's the metaverse. And so this might not be fair, it might not be right, but the fact of the matter is all those people working at that platform have goals and those goals are tied to their bonuses. And so if Mark Zuckerberg and the, and the leaders of those companies say, this is what we're focused on, I will promise you that all their resources are going towards that. So then all those people working there are like, I have to be proving that I what I'm doing is, is laddering up to this greater goal. So all the creator kind of leads and everything in those companies right now are like trying to figure out how they can contribute to this greater sort of goal. So if you've got a creator on your roster that's doing something really interesting in like the metaverse, I don't know what that means, by the way, but I'm just saying you will be able to get in more with them and they will give you opportunities and invite you into their betas and give you their monetization things. That's how you work with them. Conversely, on the platform side, something that I mentioned this earlier that was always frustrating to me, but really kind of in the end, was that they always think about scale first. Like even if an idea starts maybe like not with scale, like you can make the argument that it can be scaled. I had a very difficult time with getting traction around those ideas. And I would say like that's a real big miss for those platforms because 
you can get sometimes even better scale if you think small initially and then like how this think about the trickle down effect. And also just, I would always ask uh, a lot of people would come obviously from YouTube and vice versa, going back and forth from these platforms. And I would always ask you, you know, former YouTube employees, like what's the big difference between the platforms and pretty much hundred percent of the time, the people that would come from YouTube would say like, it takes a really long time for them to launch a new product. And I would say, you can see that, right? Like, but when they do, their launches are pretty buttoned up or Facebook is kind of throwing stuff against the wall every day. Good things about that too, right? Doesn't get stuck and you can actually see it, but also like bad things too, because you're not maybe vetting the idea. So it's no secret that I, in its first iteration, had a lot of issues with Facebook Watch in that they required every single person to get on watch, you had to create a new page called a show page. Now, this is a good idea for like NBC, right? Because NBC's got 120 sort of properties. And so, you know, that's fine. Each one of them should have a show page. If I'm a creator, I've got this huge page. I don't want to create another page. I don't have a, you know, huge army of people to do this. So that was communicated but certainly by myself and by many other people and by creators that this was not a great path forward for this product. And it was not listened to and the product was launched and they, of course, ended up deprecating that feature of it. And it's much more successful now. And so I think that a little bit more time spent thinking about the consequences of how these features and stuff can affect you know, creators, good or bad, I think is really critical. And like really at the end of the day, the creators are the initial use case for all this stuff, right? You get the creators, you get the fans, you get the fans, you get the advertisers, you get the advertisers, you get the money. And I, there's certainly much more, it seems creator friendly since I've even left, you know, than they know it, it, you know, sometimes do I want to bang my head against a wall when I hear the higher ups of these companies being like, we've always been creator focused. And I'm like, have you, um, <laughs> really, but I'm glad that we're there. So that's exciting. It's great. It's interesting. This concept, even of scalability in the first place, I think it's a major pain point for just influencer marketers in general. I think that's why a lot of things sort of go awry because the assumption is that like everything should be done at scale. And that's the only way to like make the most amount of money and impact and test them and get the most amount of data points, et cetera, et cetera. And like, that's just a very specific way of doing business at scale. And like people throw that term around as if it's normalized, but it's actually like, not at all. It's not necessarily the greatest thing. Like if you think about like, there's so much talk about micro creators these days and how like, you know, you're talking creators, 10,000 followers, maybe less. And, you know, how brands are seeing major success with those kind of creators, because those are really high intent engaged audiences. And how exciting is that? And that's not quote unquote, I don't know what that is, but it's not scale. Right. So that was one of the frustrating things for me as sort of the end. I mean, I think, listen, it's an incredible background to like have that in my head and the skill set to think big because listen, I'm at a company right now. We, you know, it's no secret. We got a big investment from SoftBank. We're in hyper growth mode. So there's a lot of kind of conversations going on about how we, you know, scale this business. But what I like a lot is how, you know, certainly from the, how we, we, we say no to so many creators, because if you don't sort of score well on this current system that we have set up, like we go to bat monetarily, you know, in every way, you know, with human capital and actual capital, you know, you know, and so we want to do it well and we want to, you know, have major success. And so if that's not going to work out, we're not going to work with you based on our current model right now. So it's helpful to have those, those thoughts for sure, but it's not the only way to think. Yeah. And like the ultimate desire could be to get to the point where we're scaling, but it's sort of like started in the, like, that can't be the first goal. Um, the first goal needs to be to have a solid product. 
right? Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. I always used to be like, build a good product and they will come, you know? And I think that's sometimes lost. Yeah. But look, I mean, you know, the reality is is like the Instagram and the Facebooks of the world have the ability just from their stance, like, and, and just like their positioning to throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and and to see what Truth. sticks, right? I think it's interesting sure. that YouTube sort of does approach it a little bit differently. We actually have an event mm-hmm. coming up with uh, all about YouTube shorts in uh, sure. November of 2021, the month that we're recording this. And, you know, yes. that's a year after they launched it. Um, and just sort of like see how people can, can utilize that and to promote what people have been doing for over a decade now creating YouTube videos and to just get additional reach beyond that. So I think it's also just a bigger concept about like cross promoting, you know, and not being platform agnostic. Um, What I think is also really interesting about YouTube shorts, I've I've talked to some people internally about YouTube and I don't know if you've heard this as well. It's not internally right now, as I understand it, they're not looking at it as like a means to get, you know, more YouTube views on your main video. Like they want to create their own sort of ecosystem on shorts figure out how to monetize that and make that its own thing, which I think also speaks to like, or maybe it's just what it is, but you don't necessarily see people with huge shorts numbers getting huge numbers on their main videos um, because it's not really like pushing towards that as I understand it. So anyway, just interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll have to tune in and see your event because I, I'm very interested with shorts. Uh, Josh, my co-host on um, Creator Upload is bullish about YouTube shorts. Well, I want to check out his YouTube shorts now. Look, I, I want to learn all yeah. about it too. I think that's, you know, it's an yeah. interesting thing. It's like video content has been a huge focus for a ton of people now. It's just like being like publicly stated. <laughs> that's the only mm-hmm. distinction. So between reels and TikTok videos and even like in feed, you know, Instagram consolidated IGTV. Now it's just Instagram video. That yes. unimaginable. Which it should have been. That's also another thing that should have been from yes. day one. Instagram, like, you know, one of the best things about Instagram is how simple it was. And then all of a sudden you had five surfaces on Instagram, you know, and, and Adam Missouri was talking about, you know, this year being like, we need, we know we need to consolidate. I love that they finally, not only the consult, you know, got rid of sort of IGTV, it's own thing, but I actually think it's a little thing. It seems like, but, um, getting rid of the swipe up, I actually think is a really smart move because it's just like another thing we have to do. And it's just sort of like incongruous with like how everything else on the, like it sort of works. And so it's like, yeah, just make it a link. It's no, there's 100%. Like the user experience is so pivotal to these tools having longevity. I don't know anybody when Instagram TV first came out that thought it was going to be successful. I can tell you internally at Facebook, because we had already launched Watch. And, you know, that one thing that Instagram gets the benefit of is sort of seeing what goes good or bad at Facebook. And the launch of Watch was, I mean, it's doing really well now, but it was not a very successful launch. And I think partly, you know, that show pages example, which was basically creating another surface. It was like, well, IGTV is going to create this other surface. Like that turned out to be like a terrible idea. And I can remember personally having some conversations like, yeah, don't do that. And they were like, now we're going to do it. I'm like, cool. And I'd be curious, like what (laughs) what were their reasons behind doing it? I think it was hubris. I think it was that, you know, Instagram right now, like, um, you know, Musical.ly was like a thing then. And then of course that was, became sort of TikTok. And, you know, Snap had been this big kind of like threat to Instagram. That was like a really big, everybody was like nervous about that. Then we came out with stories and we kind of like, it's not the Snap went away and Snap's doing incredibly well, but it sort of made it like, all right, we're good. Like we're, Snap's not going to like make us go away. And we were kind of the king of the castle at that time. And I do think that there was this element of like, they will just come. And that is not true. And I (laughs) said that. 
And yeah. As did many people. It's incredibly difficult, but it shows also how hard it is to create a, like a new platform. I mean, it's incredible. Like the biggest platform in the world couldn't effectively create a new platform, right? So like, it's really, really tough to do, which also leads into sort of what we were talking about earlier with diversification of creators is like, it's really tough to convert audience to do anything if you're anyone or a platform. Like the average conversion for audience for a creator is something like 1% of your followers. So it's not a lot. It's very difficult. I'm curious. I mean, you've been exposed to probably hundreds, if not thousands of creators, you know, over time. I'm curious your perception, those who do tend to convert a higher percentage of people, what is their point of distinction? It's a really good question. I can say from a numbers perspective, because we did a lot of this sort of analysis when I was at spring last year was we generally saw when there was a 4X or greater views to subs ratio, you would see really good conversion. So what does that look like? You've got a million subscribers, but you're getting like 4 million views a video. You're going to get do really well. So like very highly engaged audiences. I said, I'm starting to hate that word engaged audiences, because what does that mean? You know, engaging around a piece of content, basically you can decide what that means, but Generally speaking, that was like a metric that we saw because we were just like, how can we just put some sort of logic behind this and figure out who's successful? And that was something that we sort of came up with. But I think other than that, it's a genuine, also a word that I kind of hate along with authentic, connection <laughs> to the audience and a sort of buy-in from that audience around their world, whatever that is, if it's a lifestyle world, if it's a gaming world, right? Like you see incredible conversion in the gaming world, right? Because it's like, those are really, really engaged fans. So that's what I have seen to be very successful. How do you get that? I don't know. I have ideas, but uh, you know, it's not, it's not as easy as it sounds. Make good content. <laughs> right. I, but I think it sort of goes back to what you were saying sort of at the beginning of this conversation, which was sure, maybe you have goals as a creator, right? Of like merch that I want to make, mm -hmm. but sure. the more successful creators at converting are less in touch with what they want and all about what their audience wants and needs. Yes. Too. Another good example, like there's a tough, you know, category to figure out as a kids, right? Because it's like, they're not watching, it's their parents and they can't really engage as much, but you know, I did, I've done a lot of investigating around sort of kids content and how do you decide, you know, cause everybody, when YouTube kind of did their whole thing with ads around kids. And so you just all of a sudden seeing the Coco Melons and all these other kind of channels started getting the licensing deals and all this sort of stuff because their monetization was decreasing. So how do you decide, you know, who should be doing that and who shouldn't be? Cause it's, again, it's very difficult to sort of do it. When you start doing research, and this is a little bit anecdotal, but you see the fans making the art and the fans making their own merch. Like you see the birthday parties themed Coco Melon or Chat and V or whatever it is. And like, they don't sell any of that products. They're literally going to the bakery and like, can you make something for my kid that looks like that? That's the type of stuff that you're like, there's, there's something here. There's, there's a need for this. There's a want for it. There's a demand for it. And I think those little sort of, you know, indicators are really critical. It's true. And they're indicators. It's like, you don't have followers anymore. You have advocates, yes. you know, yes. they're people who like spreading your gospel. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 1000%. Yeah. So speaking of the gospel, mm -hmm. yeah, sure. <laughs> so you co-host this incredible podcast. Yes. yes. 
I am genuinely a, a really big fan of the oh, show. Thank you. I I can't remember how I found it, but I believe it was some sort of word of mouth. Ooh. Somebody posted about it. I love found it. it. I started listening to it, and I love it. And it's not a solo podcast. No. You've got your uh, Joshua Cohen, who's mm-hmm. the co-founder of Tube Filter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to know. I'm just curious from like one podcaster to another, like what's your most popular episode? What was the topic? What did it, what were you talking about? And like, why do you think that was? This is an easy question to answer with Nas Daily. I mean, that was the most popular podcast. We just had him on um, not like a month ago. It was so funny. So he's based between Singapore and Dubai and he's just the greatest guy. I love him. And he was like going to be, and I was like, I'd love to have you in the podcast. And he was like, oh, great. Like I'll come, I'm going to be in LA. Like, can I come record in your office? I'm like, if by that you mean my like dining room, great. And then it's so funny because we're set up to record remotely. And so I tried to set it up where we could be in the same room, but it doesn't work because they're like the feedback and all that. Because, you know, Josh is in, on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast. So I literally had to go in like my bedroom and like, <laughs> like he was my, like my, you know, dining room recording was hilarious. But beyond that, I, you know, and beyond his popularity, what's really exciting about him is he is a creator entrepreneur and he is, um, he's just started a company called Nas Academy which is sort of, you could argue, like a master class competitor, but it's helping creators become educators. And he's closed some funding. You know, full disclosure, the founders of Jelly Smack kind of, you know, contributed to that. And I'm just a big believer in him as like a human and as an entrepreneur. And I think, you know, he's just a really compelling guest because of that. And, and you know, he's incredibly smart. I mean, this is a guy who went to Harvard and, you know, worked at a platform himself and, and all that sort of stuff. And like, you know, decided to get into this because of wanting to just spread sort of goodness in the world. But he himself will sort of talk about how he is more of an entrepreneur than even a creator, although those things are, you know, coincide and live together within him. But um, yeah, so it's a really, it's a great episode. And yeah, that was our most popular episode. <laughs> I love it. I'm excited. I haven't listened to that one yeah. yet, so I'm excited to check it out. And I yeah. hope everybody listening does too. Yes, please. I want to ask you, I want to know a little bit about your influencer marketing predictions, whether it's, you know, I, I will leave that broad because yeah. I want to hear you take it? I mean, a couple things. What I'm seeing a lot of, you know, because as I mentioned, I talk to startups every day in the space and, you know, I start to see trends. All of a sudden I'm getting a ton of, everybody's a Lincoln bio company, right? Like, and so I literally have a spreadsheet of all these Lincoln bio company. Then there's like, I call it like, it's a terrible, but it's like easy website building. There's this trend right now where there's a lot of companies and the founders hate when I do this because they give me their whole fancy pitch. And I'm like, so essentially you're just like an easy website builder. And they're like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just like, can we just get the bells and whistles and just like understand this, you know, whatever. But I am seeing a lot of going a little back to building your own owned and operated is starting to become a thing again. I don't know what it, how it's going to net out, but, and I, and I also think it's interesting from an influencer marketing perspective, because if that kind of builds up to being a thing, then I think it's a better opportunity for influencer marketers, because I think that obviously you don't have the constraints of the platform and you're getting, you know, what audience you're getting and all that sort of stuff. So I think we're going to see more of that. And we're going to see certain people really, um, certain creators really able to sort of build out their own owned and operated. And then also what I'm seeing and I'm really liking is like sort of the gamification of influencer marketing. So I met with a company called Parapop the other day, which I think is really interesting how they're gamifying it and creating these challenges around influencer marketing. And I was like, why has nobody done this yet? Like, this is so smart. I just think drops in general 
are, I don't know if they're in the future because they're really here right now. I just think there's so much noise on the internet and I don't know a better way in which to like create buzz around something. And so I think that we're going to see probably more of that, like influencer marketing kind of going in that direction. I love that. We're actually scheduled to have them record on the show oh, very fantastic. soon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and I've heard equally like really great things. So yeah. I reached out to them and I was like, can you guys come on? Yeah. So no, those are great, great predictions. And then look, I am just so impressed with you as like a woman in the industry who has just been like spearheading the way and paving the way for so many other women to come up behind you. I'm sure so many women are listening to this on our show and, you know, being like, how do I follow in her footsteps? And, you know, as you described, it was not a linear journey for you. Not even remotely linear. <laughs> I think and we're you, still in the circle of, I don't even know. And and maybe you're still on. I mean, yeah. You are probably still on your path. Yeah, You're, yeah, you know, a human. What we're all on. Yeah. However, I would love to hear from you to give a little advice to the women who are listening to this right now. Like, what do you wish someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or a personal advantage today? I don't even know if somebody didn't tell me this. I think I didn't listen to it, but I don't know if it was told quite in this way. Let me just say it. Um, so. <laughs> I think my biggest advice would be to figure out what you're good at and lean into that. And what that also means is perhaps not following your dreams as you think that they are. And so I read, there was a writer that kind of had some version of that quote, but honestly, one of my biggest inspirations in life is Steve Martin. I am a huge, huge fan. I have read his biography many, many times called Born Standing Up. And one of the things that he said in that, people don't know, Steve Martin was a the world's biggest stand-up comedian in like the 80s, the early 80s. He started off as a writer and he was an actor in LA. And one day he's in um, an audition and he sees all these other guys kind of in there and he just looks around the room. He's like, I am, this is never going to be the way I'm going to make it. Like I am not as good looking. I am not as talented. Or maybe he is as talented, but he's like, it's never going to be my thing. And he literally like got in his car and left Los Angeles. And then within like 18 months was the biggest stand-up in the world because he's like, I've got to pave my own way. And for me, when I was trying to do comedy and I realized I really didn't like staying up late, I was like, this is never going to be the thing that I'm going to like succeed at because I'm like never going to be the last one at the club. I am literally, I was that person that like at parties in college was like, you know, what do they call it? Irish goodbye like going home and secretly going to bed. Like I'm always like I'm an early riser. And so what I'm really good at, and if I really look back on my life, I've always been good at is producing. I still consider myself a producer. And once I really leaned into that, all my other dreams kind of came true. Like I really, like, I was like, I'm able to work in entertainment. I carved out my own kind of path in it. I'm able to work with really incredibly smart people, talented people, and be creative and have used my business sense and just like, you know, galvanize people, which again is something I've always done, which is effectively what a producer does. And so for me, and it took a while to get there. And I'm not saying that's easy because it also, you have to figure out what you are good at. But if I look back on my life, I was always this, this was always what I was. I was like the bossy tall one, like telling all the kids in the sleepover to like do this or do that. Like I was always that. So it's like, it doesn't mean that you're foregoing your dreams. So it's not as you know, black and white as I may have sort of said it, but it just means it will actually probably open more dreams up for you if you lean into what you're really good at. And I think that is so critical and don't shy away from it. Oh my gosh. That is such, such good advice. I have a feeling that a lot of people listening are going to want to get in touch to connect with you as like part of the WIM community. Sure. What is the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? I like a LinkedIn message, you know, find me on LinkedIn, Lauren Schnipper, pinging me as a result of this, please mention that you heard me on this podcast and I'm happy to, you know, chat and help out in any way that I can. 
I might, maybe that's shocking, but I enjoy a LinkedIn message. No, I love LinkedIn. Why is it shocking? LinkedIn's fantastic. Some people think it's spammy. I actually prefer it to a cold email. I don't know. I like, cause it's a little bit more contextual. Cause I can then look and see who you are and like, be like, okay, this is like not a crazy person. And like, they're in this industry, even if you're not in this industry and you're young, it's fine. But I'm just saying like, I can see your context and it just, it helps me kind of frame it and frame the conversation. So I like a LinkedIn message. I can totally 1000% appreciate that. No one's quite explained it like yeah. that, but it makes perfect yeah. sense. So uh, we will link all of that in the description Great. box for uh, everyone to see and have. And thank you so, so much for coming on. Thank you for today. having me. This is great. Um, I'm excited. And you are going to come on our podcast soon. And um, I'm very excited about that. And then I get I'm to go sorry. back in my more comfortable position of interviewing, not interviewing. Interviewing. <laughs> you are fantastic. You got to guess more often. You are fantastic. Thank I'm excited you. to come on your show though, too. So it was such a pleasure to have you on today. And I'm so excited for our community to, uh, to meet you. So thank you again. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we got to have you back. Check out our website for more ways to get involved, including all the information you need about joining our collective. You can check out all the information at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I, dot com. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, a rating. But the most important thing that we can ask you to do is to share this podcast. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week.